Hello and welcome and happy whatever, who cares? It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. This is the only show where no one's listening, no one cares, and every episode's the last episode. And by the way, I'm David Cooper, in case that wasn't clear. Today, my guest, Gary Dierenfeld. He's a social worker, and he's going to join me for Therapy Thursdays on a Thursday. Gary's going to tell us all about a workshop he's got planned, but first... I'm going to confront him about something, and I'm pretty sure this is going to go terribly. But then again, when does it ever not? Wake up. I know I was stretching. How are you, Gary? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. We are taping. We just because last time I surprised you was all. Well, yeah, ambush. However, yeah, you know what? It's not like I say anything wrong or bad before I even know. I know you think Bill Cosby is innocent, but we'll keep that opinion off the air. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want to talk about your workshop, The Narcissistic X, but before we do that. Okay. Can you define sublimation or sublimating for me? You had to catch me. Sublimate. Um, I can just give you the definition and then you can say it back and I can pretend you got it really quickly. Give me your definition. To direct or redirect an expression or a desire or an emotion that is societally unacceptable to something that's considered proper or acceptable. For example, you know, the childhood bully might sublimate as an adult and become a boxer. The child who is a negative attention seeker as a kid may grow up and be a radio host. Yeah, so it's all about our letting out these negative impulses in a way that's socially acceptable. So what do I do with all these big feelings and how do I let them out in a way that doesn't get me into trouble? Okay, let's just pause there. I just want to that's one thread of conversation. Forget I even said it. Earlier in the year, it was Deerenfeld versus Electrolux. Now it's Deerenfeld versus PC Financial. (laughs) What is going on and what urge are you sublimating? Because you are taking it out on large corporations that treat you wrong and you are doing it as a well-adjusted adult, calmly, nicely. But something's going on, Gary. I'm starting to find a pattern. There is a pattern, but here's the thing. I am not looking for this. And in all those circumstances, when a big organization hasn't dealt with me, uh, and it was, you forgot the insurance company for, um, Oh, there's uh, another the one. Payback, <laughs> right. The, the payback on my crashed car, they wanted to undervalue my, my vehicle. And, you know, so many of these big, uh, companies, they they just want to screw you over. I, I don't know if that's appropriate to say or not, but that's how it feels. No, I get it. Right? And then how do you how do you um I don't know, not seek justice, but but how do you get an appropriate resolution when these companies just don't want to do what they're supposed to do? And so they all have these dispute resolution processes. But those processes, like the game is rigged. They're developed by them not to facilitate you resolving conflict, but again, to keep you out. Like the insurance company. 
um, they want to undervalue my car. And by the way, I didn't crash it. Somebody crashed it for me. They crashed into me. Uh, however, they were undervaluing my vehicle by uh, about 1500 bucks. And I said, well, what's the process? They said, well, you hire, right? You hire your private adjuster or, or estimator to go out there and figure out what you think the car is worth. You send that off to us. I said, so if I hire that person, it's going to cost me a good 500 to 1000 bucks." Which is about what they're undervaluing it for. You know, it makes the undervalue, even if they're undervaluing it for three grand, they're making you pay about a third of that money. Exactly. I said, well, that is your process and it favors you because it puts me in the situation where even if I'm successful, I barely get anything that's, that's worth it. So, you know, let me tell you what my process is going to be. I, I'm going to splash you across my social media. I'm going to start a lawsuit with your CEO. I am going to be so inconvenient to your company that my cost to you will be thousands of dollars. And so I suggest that you take it back to your powers that be and see if I'm worth your aggravation or whether or not you want to settle with me for at least a thousand more, which they did. I know they did. And then, you know, with Electrolux, it was the same thing. They didn't want to replace the washing machine or not the, the dryer, sorry. And after they made me jump through so many ridiculous, ridiculous, change your laundry detergent. It's the dryer for crying out loud that has a problem. So, um, again, I said, you know, that's your traditional route. Here's my non-traditional route. And they wound up sending me a new dryer. And with them, what did I do? I went to LinkedIn and I sent a message to every one of their executives, including the CEO, saying, here's what's happening. I need your help. If I don't get it, here's what I'm going to do. But I was always polite, always respectful, but firm. So along comes PC Financial. I have been chased for $1,300, $1,400 on a fraudulent account in my name. They know it's fraudulent. We resolved this a year and a half ago. Um, and yet, I get these, you know, credit calls that they're going to take me to court and, you know, uh, make me pay. So I, again, I took to LinkedIn and I got in touch with the CEO and about 15 to 20 other executives and managers. And I said, here is the, the case number saying it was resolved in uh, a year and a half ago. I continue to be harassed. Please look into this. And I post it also on LinkedIn and my Facebook page, which has 22,000 followers. I got a phone call the very next day. I'm sure you did. And I said, uh, here's what's going on. They looked up the, the case number. They said, you're absolutely right. We do have it here on file. This should never have gone forward. The last person didn't close it properly. I said, great, here's what I want. I want a letter stating that stating that it was a fraudulent purchase that i didn't make the purchase the matter has been resolved and closed uh and i need you to send that to equifax and the other um all the credit uh, bureaus or whatever yeah oh i guess you already have a house or whatever you're you're, you're at an age where you're financially <laughs> stable but if you were a bit younger a bad mark on your credit could affect your ability to get a mortgage uh, that would that would have screwed me over and so I was so clear in what I wanted in terms of a letter from them and the actions to take. I had a, an email copy of that letter sent to me within hours, within hours. 
And it was because I used the Derenfeld non-traditional approaches rather than going through the credit bureaus and the ombudsman and, you know, cause all these processes take, a, you know, a year and you're still going with the bad credit rating. You're still having all these problems. I thought I had resolved it by the time I was at the third, uh, um, debt collector. Uh, but now apparently it's resolved. We'll see. But at least I've got a letter to send to the next deck collector. Okay, we've got the story. I let you go on about the story. I didn't <laughs> want to cut you off. But you know I don't want to talk about the specifics of the story, Gary. You can't obfuscate. You can't distract. Oh, you got Well, people have to understand what's going on. It's not sublimation. This is Darren Feld. I disagree. Well, that's fine. This is Darren Feld managing stuff that's incoming. And, you know, again always polite with every single person through whichever process. But finally, I am clear and unequivocal in terms of what my actions will be. The rest is up to you. I think this may well be a case of sublimation. Life has dealt you a few cards recently that were tough to get through. And this is a very easy thing to like fight something that is totally out of anyone's control. The corporate bureaucracy that gets forced onto people when they have any little thing to fix with their phone plan, with their television plan, with their internet plan, what, with their bank, anything. It's always impossible. Yes. And the second you get to the second customer service person, they don't have no context for what happened. Every person you talk to can't fix anything. They transfer you to the next person and that next person has no context for your problem until finally you get up the chain. I don't think they want to. No. I, you know, they just don't want to because there's no money in fixing it. No, they're, they're hoping you go away. Just, yeah, die. Go. There is a This American Life episode from many years ago. The comedian, he's not really a comedian, he's a storyteller. Mike Berbiglia talks about getting T-boned in his car by somebody. Okay. Totally not his fault. They ran a red light. And the cop ticked off in the accident report that he was at fault. Oh, oh. And he went all the way like you did to the top of the insurance companies. He got the police to even admit they did something wrong. And still, they were too lazy or just didn't want to amend the paperwork or get in trouble or be bothered to, like, fix it. And so after about a year of fighting and phone calls and even getting an admission from the cop that, that he was not at fault, but still being unable to get the right box ticked, talking to the insurance company saying, oh, you just have to get this box ticked, his wife finally said, give it a rest. <laughs> And he gave up and the story became about giving up and just accepting the corporate bureaucracy sometimes in life like we all do, right? No, I'm all about uh, self-advocacy. And I, you know, people call me in awful circumstances and they need to learn how to advocate for themselves in a way that you have a voice, you get heard and you get resolution. Now, having said that, David, it doesn't always work. However, um... I, I don't want people to lose their voice. So am I sublimating? Uh, I've always had a voice, so it's not sublimation. I'm just using my voice. I'm just wondering what the dysfunctional urge is. Because you, you stand up to these companies and you do it so maturely. But why do you think it's dysfunctional if I do that? Because the uh, when large corporations fuck you around like that, all you can think of is anger, dysfunction, how to get back at them. Yes, you're polite to the person on the phone, but you blame them. I don't know. Hang on. I don't think of revenge. I just think of resolution. That's it. I'm not looking for anything. You sure not? There, there's, a, there's a subconscious Gary there who's very petty, 
the opposite of the Gary we know. And that Gary gets to, to, to satisfy this urge by standing up to large corporations. I'll, I'll let you leave that for the listeners. I mean, if they want to think I'm petty, that, I, I, I'll live with it. No, I don't think you're petty. I think that you're too well-adjusted. You're too nice. Ah. You always know the right thing to say <laughs> in terms of therapy and, and counseling people. My brother's a lawyer. And it, it's funny because he and I were chatting about this last night. Uh, over dinner and he was saying how he is always counseling people to be reasonable to be nice to come across uh, appropriately he was talking about um you know different complaints that he's been dealing with on behalf of his clients and when he receives nasty letters from the other side he doesn't respond in kind he responds reasonably and here's the thing this stuff eventually goes up in front of an adjudicator and they see th this harassment and haranguing on the one side and reasonableness on the other. Who do you, who do you think looks like the horse's patoot and who do you think looks like they know what they're talking about? So there is, it's in people's best interests typically to self-advocate yet do so reasonably. And look, this is segue into living with a narcissistic ex. I, I have so many clients that I coach through that as a process and coach them how to manage themselves because if this stuff ever goes in front of an adjudicator, a judge, you want it to look so clear in the messages and the emails, the text messages and emails that go back and forth. You want it to be so clear that you've been reasonable throughout mm -hmm. so so that you it's a stark contrast to this other person who is haranguing harassing blaming manipulating lying um and we're going to talk about that in my workshop we are in just a few minutes but <laughs> there's there's a david and goliath thing going on you must get a profound sense of satisfaction when a large corporation bows over to you whoa 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 i do i that, that for sure i do get uh, a sense of satisfaction when when i get what i what is reasonable not what i deserve but what is reasonable to the circumstances i also get that same satisfaction when my clients have uh, similarly good outcomes the result of my teaching them how to self-advocate. You want to go into the deep stuff, and I still want to talk about fighting <laughs> corporations. And you said earlier, you don't choose this. And I don't know that that's true, because everybody goes through these interactions with large, corp large corporations. I, I choose how I'm going to respond. I I, I'm very strategic in terms of how I respond and manage these things. But I don't know which corporation I'm going to ever have in it. So I don't go looking for problems. But but you, I just feel like it's a point of joy for you to escalate these and then win. Uh, it's certainly a point of joy to win. Um, I don't enjoy these processes. I've got better things to do in life. And I feel like, again, you're too well-adjusted to really get into the whole like sports narrative with the losers and the winners. You don't like people to feel like losers. No. But large corporations, it's not, it's like it's a victimless crime if they feel like losers. Okay, but it, it, I don't even like the paradigm of winners and losers. I prefer a, a paradigm that says, how can, resolve, how can we resolve this reasonably and peacefully? Mm -hmm. And what are the pressures that I may need to bring to bear in order to be heard 
to resolve it reasonably. All right, I give up. I give up. Am I annoying you? I'm like pressing. I, I think there's a narrative there, and you don't think it's there. Sorry, I, I'm not. I'm not picking up the bait. <laughs> I just. I, I, I was hoping you would you would have a moment of self-reflection or something. Not not that you're not self-reflective. Probably my narrative's wrong, but I was hoping I would stumble on something. I'll keep trying. The next time this happens, I'll try. I tried this last time. Throw throw your shit at me. We'll see what sticks. I asked you, what is this really about when it was the dryer? I asked you, what is it really about when it was the car? I'm asking you what it's really about now. Maybe we'll find that it's really about something, and maybe we'll find that it isn't. Remember that line that's attributed to freud sometimes a cigar is just a cigar when my therapist confronts me with my bullshit i could respond with that or i could be like you know but the problem is i'm not a trained therapist so maybe i'm maybe this isn't your bullshit gary i don't know i don't know here's the thing i'm consistent over time and because of that that's you know that should demonstrate that this is who i am because i'm consistent over time i'll try one more time this is my last one yeah, 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 go ahead. <laughs> you would never be the kind of person who would say to someone, even if they did you a great wrong, don't mess with me. I'm not the kind of person you would want to mess with. Like, you're too good a person to say something like that. But you get to say that to corporations. <laughs> no, I don't even say that. I just say, look, here's your strategy. Here's mine. You're going to have to figure out if you really want me to de deploy mine or if you want to resolve this with me. And I'm here's the other thing. I am never ever asking for anything beyond what is appropriate i feel like a nudnik right now like a troublemaker but i guess you've worked <laughs> with me long enough to know that i'm capable of that but i'm not always that way uh, oh listen no issue i i do know you and and you're you're doing your best to s stir the pot <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i mean uh, and my I best I, I don't know <laughs> you don't know what i'm capable of <laughs> uh, no i've in my previous broadcasting experience pushed people's boundaries to the point where they won't work with me again but, but i've learned my lesson you know if you want to be at the line you have to cross it a few times you want to be careful about that because you want people to be willing to speak with you yeah Right. You want, you, listen, I had some referrals from lawyers. I'd say, who's on the other side? They tell me the lawyer involved. I said, I'm not going to take the file. They're, they're, they're not pleasant to work with and they make everything an issue. Um, not going to do it. No, I know that. When I, when I say I've burned bridges, I mean not for years. Okay. Yeah. No, you just don't want to undermine your own uh, interests by being over the top. Well, now I'm like, did I undermine my ability to work with you by pressing you about your David and Goliath syndrome? Not with me. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you too well, and, and I like you, so. Thank you, Gary. I like you too. All right, I'll drop it. I promise I won't bring it up until the next time you go up against a large corporation, which will be in three months. There's going to be a next time, because <laughs> welcome to life in the fast lane. We, we all have um, contracts with a phone company, with... Uh, um, cable television or or our cars or or whatnot uh this is a day-to-day -day thing for many of us to have to have the skills to live in a complex society where people don't want to take responsibility all right i'm done here i i tried to get my um my troublemaking nugget i tried to be a shock jock i failed miserably there's nothing going on with you except you're pissed off oh, wait no not even pissed off you were treated badly by these companies and you stand up for yourself to get treated right. Yes. All right. I concede to that, Gary.
And honest to God, this segues so well into what we're going to talk about. And I take back when I said, I think you're sublimating. And you're like, well, <laughs> I take it back. I no longer think that. But I'm going to try again next time. I've dropped it. It's dropped. Okay. Thanks. And I, did it annoy you when I made those implications? No. Okay. Well, I apologize in case it did. No. No, no. You've got a workshop coming up on November 6th. No. Is it the 6th or the 1st? When is it? Monday, November 6th is what I... No, you're right. You're right. Monday, November. <laughs> I know when your workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should know that stuff, right? Yeah. Monday, November 6th, seven o'clock in the evening. Eastern time. Uh, yes. Eastern time. Um, you know, I see so many people who are separated or separating from someone they identify as narcissistic. Uh, and... These are, bar none, the worst of situations. They are the person who calls me. They're they're scared. They're intimidated. The ex is very uh, threatening. I'm gonna see that you get nothing. They are often undermining uh, the caller to me. Their their relationship with their own kids. Uh, these persons who you know are identified by the caller as as narcissistic. Um, they're not looking for a win-win. They're not even looking for a win-lose. They're looking to screw over um, the person that they're separating from. And it takes a different mindset to negotiate and to resolve issues with someone who wants to just screw you over. They're looking for a lose on your side and they don't care what happens on their side. Hey, if I cut off my nose, and but you get your head cut off, I'm good with that because you came out worse. Like, how do you deal with someone when that's their mentality? And we're going to deal with that in this workshop. We're also going to deal with how do you manage kids who are used as their emissary? So the kid comes back to the parent after spending a weekend or a week with this uh, uh, person identified as a narcissist. And the kids, you know, other parent says you're a this and you're a that. And that you're mean to me and blah, blah, blah. it's like oh my goodness and, and this happens it's hard to believe david these scenarios it is hard to believe someone would so manipulate and brainwash children so badly and then you meet with these so-called narcissists and they're going to show you their charming side yeah they're going to play the victim they're going to say no i'd Look, it's like dealing with Trump, right? Uh, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say to me bounces off of me and sticks to you. It's that uh, infantile, that childish thing. That's how they operate. And, you know, how do you defend yourself at court or in a mediation when you've got that on the other side? And I feel tremendously for persons uh, having to resolve issues with that kind of person um, it's expensive to sit in front of me i use a sliding fee scale for counseling it ranges from one to four hundred an hour but to just be in front of me uh i and i always set a three-hour chunk of time and that first meeting is typically a good three hours so you're spending anywhere from 300 to uh, 1200 for that meeting with me it's prohibitive to many people so finally, I said, you know what, let me do a 90-minute workshop, and I'm happy to share exactly what I share with these people. And here's what I said. The workshop, 
I I estimate the value of that 90 minutes between 100 and 150 bucks if you were to deal with me privately. And I, I'm putting it out there saying, pay me what, whatever you want. You're such a good guy. <laughs> Look, I, I'm going to earn a living. So I, I don't need to squeeze everything out of everybody. Like, why? So, you know, some people will choose to pay me nothing and i have just no issue with that that's probably what you can afford but you still need the help so i can make myself available to you by doing this workshop and others will pay 10 15 may you know maybe up to 150 bucks and maybe we'll have three people at the workshop maybe we'll have a couple hundred i don't know i i kind of don't care i'm putting this out into the world it's a good thing to put out into the world. Many people need this help. And that's what I'm doing November uh, 6th. I'm doing it. Um, I'm going to post the link to my Facebook page. Gary, what's my Facebook page? www.facebook.com forward slash. Gary Deerenfeld, social worker. Social worker. And so I'm going to post uh, probably the Zoom link to my Facebook page. And I, I, I'm going to think through the the technology of this because i may do it as a facebook live but either way it'll be clear on monday uh november the 6th how to uh join in uh for that workshop uh at 7 p.m eastern standard time you were right earlier when i cut you off and i didn't let you segue into this when we were talking about pc financial uh the strategy at least as you've come to tell me in the past year or two ago about dealing with the narcissistic ex it's not a it's not the first time you've touched this topic this is a topic you know very well and have counseled people through many times um it's the same strategy remain calm be polite oh it is so it's so vital the tools you use when facing these corporations are tools that can be used in many such adversarial environments or situations <laughs> and this is certainly an adversarial environment when you're dealing with an ex like that and that is one thing that you've told me in the past. It's no matter how they communicate, just do so quickly, politely, you know, don't offer too much, but don't be rude. Yes. And, you know, to differentiate, when you're dealing with that narcissistic ex, there is a paradigm shift that people have to meet, uh, make. Uh, people tr may see their ex as narcissistic, but they still deal with them as if they're normal. And what do I mean by that? They'll beg, they'll cajole, they'll try to talk sense into this person. That doesn't work with a narcissist. They're not normal. They are not normal. That's why they're a narcissist. And so you have to do this paradigm shift in your own head. And rather than begging, cajoling, trying to talk sense into them, realize those strategies don't work. We're going to talk about the ones that have a better success rate. Never a guarantee. Never a guarantee but a better success rate. Uh, and that's what we're going to work on. Another one you were telling me about a long time ago, I may not get this right, is setting the goalposts um, more restrictive than you would actually allow, which is to say if they want something from you, maybe it's time with the kids, maybe it's money, who knows what. Mm -hmm. Initially, don't give up anything and then let them be themselves and try to push you and do the dysfunctional shit and then give up what appears to them halfway, but still within your boundaries. <laughs> so these are all good strategies. Uh, yeah, because if you sell the farm before you've even started, you've got nothing left to give up. Mm -hmm. It's like classic don't negotiate against yourself. 
honest honestly so so you you really there are so many strategic moves that you need to know and understand in order to manage a narcissist i you know i i've worked with so many persons who've given up spousal support given up child support given up the house and they think they can buy peace no you cannot buy peace with the narcissist the narcissist doesn't look at what you've given up and say oh you're nice you've given me this i'm now going to leave you alone no they look at you and say you are a fool i was able to hold you hostage for this i've learned i can hold you hostage for more still whoa it becomes a new starting point. Whatever you give up is the new starting point. Yes. So, uh, you know, part of that paradigm shift is know who you're dealing with and understand their psychology so that you don't do something that undermines uh, your own interests. On the narcissist side, and of course, this is not something you'll cover in the workshop, but, and I know you're, you're talking to people dealing with a narcissist. All you have access to are, to are the people dealing with the narcissist. You're counseling them as best you can i hope so <laughs> anyone can come to the workshop i hope so well no but i mean it's from the perspective of the person dealing with this you you counsel them as best you can but if we pierce over to the other side which i know is not the content of the workshop do you believe in rehabilitation someone who acted very you know narcissistically wrong someone who behaved that way do you believe they can change let's differentiate from narcissistic behavior and someone who legitimately meets criteria for a diagnosis of narcissism sure okay so if i've engaged in some narcissistic behavior and i've been a, a doink for for doing that you may be able to rehabilitate me if i go to counseling i may take some responsibility i may self-reflect etc if i've truly got a narcissistic personality disorder uh by virtue of the disorder, it's very difficult for me to self-reflect. And if I can't self-reflect, what am I taking responsibility for? Because I don't see myself as responsible. So it's really, really hard to treat a true narcissist. But not impossible. <sighs> the success rate is abysmally low. And if, if a narcissist, a true narcissist, comes to counseling, it's usually not to take responsibility for the personality disorder. It's usually because they may have anxiety or depression for not getting their way. And they're, they're distressed about that. So, so you may be treating them more for the secondary issues, not the primary issue and they remain narcissists. I'm just imagining what's in my psychiatrist's notes, and my biggest fear right now is clear narcissist. He, he's treating me for my depression and my anxiety, but what's really there that he can't treat is that. You may have some narcissistic traits, but you're not a narcissist, and I could tell that be because of the quality of our conversations, and that when I press back and you're not successful, you say, you know what, Dernfeld, I apologize. Here's what I'm trying to do, and you lay your hand out. As if you were a narcissist, you'd be pissed with me for not being able to undermine me. And, and you can exhibit narcissistic behaviors without being a quote-unquote, yeah, we all do it. All of us. I mean, what is this? We're talking into microphones. Hey, listen to us. Uh, your Facebook page, you being on television, these are all like they have a, a thread of narcissism to them. Of course, I I enjoy it. Yeah, and I enjoy the accolades, and I enjoy the fame, and I right. So those are narcissistic traits, if you will. But you also enjoy the work of helping people. 
Well, absolutely. So I don't meet criteria for being a narcissist, but just to point out, we all have some degree of self-love and uh, want some degree of being respected and adored. Um, okay. And that's okay if it's at a healthy, normal human being amount. Correct. It's not at anyone else's expense, though. That's a big differentiator. It's not at anyone else's expense. Interesting. The rehabilitation question is interesting to me because as part of the diagnosis built in, at least what I'm hearing is that you'll reject the diagnosis. If you want to tell me I'm a narcissist, I'll go, well, you know what? You might be right. I've certainly got some traits. We all do. If you tell a narcissist they're a narcissist, they're going to want to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good differentiator. (laughs) And listen, one of the things we teach is If you think your ex is a narcissist, for goodness sakes, do not call them that. It will not work well for you. (laughs) And, and, right? And so you have to learn how to manage in a way that is in your favor. And you have to learn how to manage your own impulses because, you know, these people can be so provocative that if you give into that provocation, you're hurting yourself. Sure. So, so much depends on being able to manage our own big feelings when we're dealing with someone like this. That's an interesting exercise. There are very few people qualified to diagnose others with the official narcissistic personality disorder, mental disorder. But one interesting exercise is to think to yourself, if I called this person a narcissist to their face, what would happen? Yeah, how how defensive. And not only defensive, do they want to annihilate me for doing it? Whoa. (laughs) That would be a telltale sign. Like, there's a few people that I know have, you know, they're they're a bit off. But if I were to tell them that, they'd say, am I? Do you want to hear something crazy? Go ahead. Uh, As a social worker, I'm not allowed to diagnose. Would you believe it? 40 years in mental health, I am not allowed to diagnose you as depressed or anxious or narcissistic. And uh, so, so often I got to write letters to doctors uh, with my clinical impressions, but not a diagnosis. And most doctors will just stamp it off and you can go back to working with the client now that you have the diagnosis. Correct. But oh my God, I've had people tell me, you're diagnosing me. And then I get into trouble with, with the powers that be. And it's like, oh God. That is frustrating. Yeah, we're not, it is. I, I, um. It's like the whole psychologist, psychiatrist thing. Like they can't prescribe, but they have the the ability to, you know, do treatment with a patient and say, hey, they could use these antidepressants, but I have to somehow work with a psychiatrist who doesn't even know my patient to prescribe them. I sent so many people to the physician with um, uh, a suspected diagnosis and a suggestion for particular medications for the doctor to consider and at their discretion um, uh, prescribe. It's, it's, it's a riot sometimes how we have to dance around that as social workers. All right, we can end it there. I will know. We're not ending it there. <laughs> I came out guns blazing at the beginning. I didn't ask you how you and Arlene and the dog were doing. We are doing really good. Um, I, I am such an obnoxious dog owner. I... I <laughs> I'm in love with my dog. So is my wife in love with the dog and we're in love with each other. We're, we are lucky. We are lucky. We get along. We've been working out of the house together for 32 years. So we've sorted it all out. It's nice when you love your partner and you love your pet and you love the pet together. (laughs) I remember before I got a pet, a friend of mine described that 
you know, tableau to me and how that's going to be so nice when we finally have a pet. And I remember, you know, my sarcastic, my cynical self being like, that. no, no, that's stupid. And now I own a pet with my partner and it's true and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. It's great. It's great. That's all. That's okay. That's it. That's everything. Gary, thank you. Speak to you again. You know, I always love chatting with you.